walked in life very successfully if you don't have some tools in the tool bag. And I'll tell you what, you, you better realize real quick that prayer better be one of those tools. And, and you know, when, when the disciples went to Jesus and said, teach us to pray, they're saying, listen, we need some tools in the tool bag. We got to get some tools in the bag to where we, when we run up against some difficult times or hard times or we have some obstacles in our lives, we, we're going to have some things we can pull out of the bag that will help us get through them and be victorious in the end. And let me tell you, prayer is one of those tremendous tools. If you don't have prayer in your tool bag, then I'm going to tell you what, you, you're in real trouble as a believer today. And so today, we want to talk about that prayer. I mean, we've got to get back to prayer. We've got to get some tool. We've got to get some uh, prayer in the tool bags today in America and in our own lives. Chalmers, Thomas Chalmers, he lived from 1780 to 1847. He said, prayer does not enable us to do greater work for God. Prayer is a greater work for God. Isn't that amazing? Prayer is a greater work for God. It's not what helps us to do a greater work. It is the greater work. Isn't that amazing? Dwight L. Moody, he lived from 1837 to 1899. He said, the Christian on his knees sees more than the philosopher on tiptoe. That's a pretty good one, isn't it? Lee Robertson, he, uh, of course, uh, pastored here recently. Uh, I mean, he, he pastored uh, basically in, in what would be, many of you may have known Lee Robertson or have heard about Lee Robertson, but nonetheless, he passed away in 2007. He lived in 1909 to 2007, 98 years, old, 98 years God gave him on earth. He said, prayer is an eternal work and worthy of our greatest patience and persistence. John Bunyan made this statement. He said, pray often. For prayer is a shield to the soul, a sacrifice to God, and a scourge for Satan. Well, I'll tell you what, prayer is a very, very powerful tool in the tool bag of every believer. And you better make sure, I better make sure that prayer's in the tool bag. Because we're going to run up against some real obstacles in the Christian life. We're going to face some real dilemmas in our culture and in the society in which we live. And prayer is going to be our only hope. We're going to have to get God in on it. So today or tonight, I want to begin, you know, kind of addressing this issue, why we must get back to prayer. And uh, boy, it's important that we do. So let's have a word of prayer and then we'll continue. Father, if we thank you again for this time together. When we thank you, Father, for the, the folks that have gathered and have a desire, Father, to grow in their walk and their relationship with you. And Lord, what a blessing that is. And what an encouragement it is to me as a pastor to see so many that do indeed have a desire to grow in their Christian walk. And Father, I pray, dear God, that they would leave here with something in the tool bag, that they would leave saying, I now have a, a, a tool. Maybe it's been just sharpened. Maybe it was already there. But Lord, it's, it's prepared. It's readied. And they can use it at any moment. How many times, Lord, have we had tools that we didn't know how to use or we had to learn how to use them? Father, may you just help us, Father, to take this prayer, this tool of prayer, and be able to apply it in our lives and in the lives of others. Lord, may we as a people and as a church be stronger in this world because of prayer. We love you. We thank you. In Christ's name, amen. So we got to get back to prayer. And we need to get back to prayer, first of all, because we're commanded to pray. That's the first thing. I mean, you say, well, why in the world should we pray? Because we're commanded to. Isn't it an amazing thing, you know, when you think about prayer, so many times you think, what, what in the world do I need to pray about? Because God already knows, right? God already knows everything. God already knows what I need. God knows what I want. God knows what I, what I should have, what I shouldn't have. I mean, do I really have to tell God anything? Because God knows everything. Why in the world do I need to pray? Because we're commanded to. We're commanded to. In 1 Thessalonians 5.17, you probably could say it by heart. 
pray without ceasing, it says. Pray without ceasing. Now, obviously, that doesn't mean go around with your eyes closed all the time. It doesn't mean that you got to get one. You ever see those guys and gals nowadays, you know, instead of having the uh, crutches, they got that thing where they kneel on it and they kind of roll around like, you know, make a scooter type thing. I think those things are pretty cool. It doesn't mean you have to get two of those and be on your knees all the time rolling through life. You can't do that, right? You can't have your eyes closed all the time, and yet you're to be praying without ceasing. How in the world do we do that? It's a state of prayer. It's a, it's, it's a position of prayer. We have to be always in a position with God where our, our communication is constant. It's continual. I may be driving down the road, but I'm in communication with God. I'm in fellowship with God. Man, we're to pray without ceasing. We ought to always be connected to God in a very real way, tangible way. He says in Luke chapter 18, verse 1, men ought always to pray and not faint. Do you know what I learned from that verse? That prayer is hard work. We have to always pray and not faint. That life is hard. That situations that we're going to face and deal with are going to be overwhelming at times and seem to be overwhelming without prayer. If we don't pray, we're going to faint for sure. But even in the midst of prayer, let's be honest, prayer itself can be very hard work. Men ought always to pray and not faint. Turn, if you would, to 1 Peter chapter 2, verse 21. 1 Peter chapter 2, verse 21. But we've got to get back to prayer because we're commanded to pray. So I'm struggling with my prayer life. Okay, uh, what does struggling mean? Well, I've just not been praying like I should. Well, then that means you're disobedient. Well, but but I'm, I'm, I mean, I really want to. I just don't. You're, you're, you're disobedient. Because we're commanded to pray. It's not optional. I mean, we have to realize how important this is to our God. He did all of this for us. He asked us to be in communication with him. You know, it's a terrible thing when a teenager gets to the place in their life where they don't think they need to talk to mom and dad. It's a real sad day when parents are trying to pull information out of their kids or the kids often just want to, you know, oh, do I really have to eat with the rest of the family and want to run into your room and hide yourself and maybe get on your phone or some other device and communicate with everybody else in the world, but you don't want to talk to mom and dad. That's pitiful. It's pitiful. And yet as believers, if we're not careful, we're just like those, those spoiled little teenagers that don't want to sit in the living room and talk to mom and dad, don't want to inter- interact or fellowship with our parents. We find ourselves, well, I'm just too busy. I've got too much to do. There's other people I'd rather talk to. There's, there's situations, circumstances that are weighing me down. You don't realize how busy I am, mom and dad. I don't have time for this. Yes, you do. And we have time for God. We just don't always make time for him. Notice in 1 Peter chapter 2, verse 21, the Bible says, For even whereunto ye, excuse me, for even whereunto were ye called. Because Christ also suffered for us, leaving us an example that you should follow his steps. What a wonderful thing it is in our Christian lives to always have the best example possible at our fingertips. I mean, we, we, we learned here that we got to get back to prayer because we're commanded to. And you know what? God gives us this wonderful example. You know who it is? Him. The Lord Jesus Christ. He says, okay, you're, you're to follow my example. You're to follow in my footsteps. You're to do as I've done. Well, what did Jesus do? He prayed. How, how, 
I guess, arrogant can we possibly be to think somehow or to somehow come to the conclusion that I don't need prayer or that I, I, prayer's not that important when it was important enough for Jesus Christ to pray. This is a funny one to me. I mean, talking about prayer, really, let's be honest. It's kind of strange. You think, well, that's a crazy thing, talking about prayer, because everybody in here, I'm sure, prays a lot. But I'm not convinced of that. I think prayer is one of the most underappreciated tools that God's given us. So we have the example of Christ. You know that Jesus prayed early in the day? In the book of Mark, chapter 1, verse 35, the Bible says, And in the morning, rising up a great while before day, he went out and departed into a solitary place and there prayed. So if we're to do like Jesus, then there'll be times maybe when we're supposed to be up even before the light shows up, even before the sun pops up. Man, that's crazy, right? Now that's a sacrifice, preacher. Man, I'll tell you what, it feels like it every once in a while, don't it? I don't know what it is, but ever since I got back from my vacation, I, I'm having a heck of a time trying to get out of bed. I'm struggling. I'm going to tell you something. It's rough. I'm having a difficult time getting out of bed. I don't know what it is. I don't know why it is. I don't know if it's Ohio air, if it's allergies or what. I don't know what it is, but I can't get out of bed. Well, I mean, I I can. I just don't want to. Man, it's rough. But I'm going to tell you what, Jesus, the Bible says, prayed early in the day. He got up early. There were times, and in the morning, rising up a great while before day, he went out and departed into a solitary place and there prayed. Boy, he communicated with the Father concerning daily needs. Boy, how we have daily needs. We've got to reach out to the Father. And you know, again, it comes to that place where we say, yeah, I know, but he already knows what I need. I don't want to ask him for anything. He already knows. And if he wants me to have it, he'll give it to me. And I get that. And you don't have to spend all day on you. I, I understand that. You can focus most of your attention on, on others and, 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 and reaching out to others. I get all of that. But boy, there's still this element. Lord, I still need you. Lord, I still need this. And Lord, I'm still begging you. I'm trusting you. I'm depending on you for those daily needs and for what I need. So Jesus rises early and he finds, he finds a secluded place to pray. He wants that quiet, uninterrupted time alone with the Father. Well, I don't know about you, but I, I, I don't know. Maybe, maybe you're different. But let me tell you something. That right there is killing Christianity. It is killing our relationship with the Lord. We are so connected to the world that we don't even have time to be connected to Him. And you say, well, I pray. I know, but you pray between beeps. I, I'm just saying, listen, I, am one, I'm, I do not... I am not bound by this phone at all. Man, I do not like being on the phone that often, to be frank with you. But I still find that it distracts me like nobody's business. And all I'm saying is, we need to be careful. Jesus rose up way before light, way before the sun came up. Why? He wanted uninterrupted time with the Lord. And a mom says, well, I just can't seem to meet with God. Guess what? You may have to get up a little earlier before the kids. And... Because once the kids are up, you're done. You're toast. I'm not trying to say that you say, well, how come I got to do all the sacrificing? You're just a Christian. We're all Christians here. 
And every one of us are going to have to find time to meet with him. If we want the world to change, if we want the, the, our communities to change, if we want God to be real and big in the lives of others, he better be real and big in our lives. And boy, one of the ways is to pray, to seek his face. I mean, Jesus could be found praying at the tomb of Lazarus. Look, if you would, in John chapter 11, verse 41. Here we have intercessory prayer. I mean, he's praying for daily needs here in Mark 135, but then he's praying also for others in the book of John, chapter 11, verse 41 through 42. Well, we ought to pray for others. If every single need in our life was met, if every single need in the lives of our family were met, there's still many other people that need our prayers. In John chapter 11, verse 41, the Bible says, Then they took away the stone from the place where the dead was laid. And Jesus lifted up his eyes and said, Father, I thank thee that thou hast heard me. I knew thou heardst me always, but because of the people which stand by, I said it, that they may believe that thou hast sent me. He's praying. He's saying, I already know you're listening, but I'm going to pray because others need it. I'll tell you what, how many others need prayer in your family? Not just your immediate, but I'm talking about your extended family. How many need prayer in our ministries? The children or the adults that we teach and train and reach out to, those that we're trying to mentor or trying to help along their Christian lives. How many need prayer? Boy, I'll tell you what, they need to hear us pray and they need to learn how to pray and many times we're the only one that can teach them. You say, I'm not that good a prayer warrior. Well, then that means you're not teaching anyone else either. What legacy will you leave one day? What legacy will you leave? I wonder if you'll be known as a man or a woman of prayer one day. I wonder if we talk to your children when you're in a casket one day or, or you're in an urn somewhere, and we say, what do you remember about mom and dad? I wonder if they'll say this. What I do know is that they loved the Lord Jesus Christ, and they were a man of prayer. They, they, they were, uh, she was a woman of prayer. Wouldn't you like to hear those words said of you? Well, that doesn't happen by chance. We've got to get back to prayer. And others need to, to see it. Our children need to see us praying. One of the testimonies of my children is seeing their mother pray. Boy, I love that testimony. They'll get talking about how mom was already praying and, and her Bible was already open and she was reading and studying and praying. Man, I love to hear those words from my kids. You want to talk about something that elevates my wife in my eyes. I'll tell you what that does. I love that. Boy, our children need to see it. Our family, our friends, our loved ones. So at the tomb of Lazarus, he prays. But then also Jesus prayed for God's will to be done in the Garden of Gethsemane. He prayed for God's will to be done. In Matthew chapter 26, 42, he went away again the second time and prayed saying, Oh, my father, if this cup, uh, if this cup may not pass away from me except I drink it, thy will be done. Well, that brings us to a real tough place of prayer right there. Isn't it interesting when we pray? And again, I know he has our petitions if we pray according to his will. But sometimes God's will in our petition isn't always lined up yet. Sometimes God has to work in our life to bring us to the place where our prayer is his will. Just because we pray it doesn't make it God's will. And sometimes prayer is for the purpose of molding us and shaping us into a place where we accept His will. 
and it becomes our will. It's funny how many times I've prayed for something and said, well, Lord, this is what I want you to do. I want to see you, God, you do this, do this. And before it's over with, the Lord's changing my heart and moving me in another direction. And pretty soon I'm saying, but Lord, you know what? It's okay if you don't too. Because not my will, but thy will be done. And that not that really where we need to get? We pray as, and, and we understand that God is listening and God wants to answer prayers. But sometimes we have to be aware that there is a bigger picture than we can see. And that he, the great orchestrator of all the universe, knows much more than we do. So we pray for God's will as well. So we pray for daily needs. We pray for others. We pray again for God's will. That's what Jesus did, so we ought to be doing those things. We've got to get back to God, back to prayer, because we're commanded to pray. Not only that, but number two, we must get back to prayer because it procures the power of God. It procures the power of God. Prayer puts us in touch with God. In years ago, when I was in the military, I was a retrans operator, they call it. Now, what I had is I had a Jeep, and on each side of the, the wheel wells of my Jeep were, were, were radios. I had a, one radio here and one radio here. And what would happen was we'd set up a huge antenna and that antenna would reach up real high into the sky and, and there would be a unit way out there on one end of the, uh, the, the, the county or the, the, the country and they'd be shooting a, a, the, you know, radio waves over there. And because it was FM, it was line of sight, you, you know, it didn't go quite as far as AM radio would. So, you know, it was FM. And so you had to have what was called a retrans operator. It'd come across on this frequency to this radio. It would go over to the other radio and be retransmitted and out to another location. So come in, go through, and go out. And it would go out with as much power as it was sent with originally. A retrans. It connected people. That retrans operator, that retrans unit, enabled those people way over there that would never be able to communicate with them way over there. Now, this was in the day before there was a lot of satellite communications and stuff. you got to get where I'm going with this now. And so it would retransmit that signal and enable those people way over there to hear what they over there wanted them to hear. And you know what? That's what prayer is for us. It enables us. It's the tool which enables us to be connected to God, even though he's way up there and we're way down here. Prayer enables us to reach up to God. It's funny, one time we went out on a, uh, you know, we had a, what was called a, um, uh, an alert. And we went out on this alert and uh, we set up our, our, uh, our big tower up there, you know, and put it, that big antenna up. And we made, did all that work. And we were waiting. And, and you know, and, and you got to understand that when those alerts went down, they never really told you that they were real. They didn't tell you whether they were real. They didn't tell you whether they weren't real. And so you're, in the back of your mind, you're always going, ah, it's just a training exercise. But in the back of your mind, there was something also saying, this could be the real deal. And so hours and hours and hours went by. We couldn't hear anything. We had no communications. We didn't know what was going on. And finally, someone finally reached us after hours and hours. And we found out that they had called the alert off hours ago. But we had lost communication. It was pretty scary wondering during that time, why is no one communicating with us? 
What's going on? Was there really a problem? Could there have been an attack? Are we really possibly at war? What's going on? Let me tell you something. When you're not connected to heaven, it's a scary thing. Because there is a battle taking place. And let me tell you something. You need to be connected to God. You need to have that communication. You need to hear from heaven that everything's all right and that he's still on the throne. And so do I. See, prayer puts us in touch with God. It procures the power of God then. Not only that, but prayer is the door to God's storehouse of blessing. Now I'll tell you what, you want the blessings of God, you got to get in prayer. You got to get on your knees. We're going to have to find a way to get a hold of God in prayer. George Mueller was a tremendous man of God. And from 1848 to 1874, money came in to improve and expand the work, which went from 130 orphans to 2,050 during this time. And up to 13 acres of property that was being cared for. Mueller describes those days, writing in 1874 by saying, But God, our infinite rich treasurer, remains with us. Now, let me just say this. George Mueller never went out really asking for things. George Mueller didn't go out and say, we have this need. Would you pray about it? George Mueller just said, let's pray about it within this, just us, the, us workers. We don't share our needs with people. We share them with God. And so nonetheless, he says, but God, our infinite rich treasure remains with us. It is this which gives me peace. <clears throat> Moreover, if it pleases him with a work requiring about 264000 a year. Now, remember when I said he died. He died in 1874. I mean, he, he died later on in the 1800s. But this is 1874 that he's writing this. And he's saying, okay, so... He says, moreover, if it pleases him with a work requiring about $264,000 a year, would I gladly pass through all these trials of faith with regard to means if he only might be glorified and his church and the world benefited? I have placed myself in the position of having no means at all left and 2,100 persons, not only daily at the table, but with everything else to be provided for, and all the funds gone, 189 missionaries to be assisted, and nothing wherever, whatever left, about 100 schools with 9,000 scholars in them to be entirely supported, and no means for them in hand, about 4 million tracts and tens of thousands of copies of the Holy Scriptures yearly now to be sent out, and all the money expended. I commit the whole work to him, and he will provide me with what I need in the future also, though I know not whence the means are to come. And that's something. And we're worried about a house payment. One morning, the plates and the cups and the bowls on the table were empty. There was no food in the, in, in the larder, they called it at that time, and no money to buy food. The children were standing, waiting for their morning meal, when Mueller said to the children, Children, you know we must be in time for school. Lifting his hand, he said, Dear Father, we thank thee for what thou art going to give us to eat. <laughs> there was nothing to eat. But there was a knock at the door right then. The baker stood there and said, Mr. Mueller, I couldn't sleep last night. Somehow I felt you didn't have bread 
for breakfast, and the Lord wanted me to send you some. So I got up at 2 a.m. and baked some fresh bread, and I brought it. Mueller thanked the man. No sooner had this transpired when there was a second knock at the door. It was the milkman. He announced that his milk cart had broken down right in front of the orphanage, and he'd like to give the children his cans of fresh milk so he could empty his wagon and repair it. (laughs) You say, that stuff never happens to me. Why not? It's amazing to me what God will do. Well, I'll tell you what, I'm sure that many of you, though, like myself, could tell story after story of how God supernaturally met a need. And we watch God and we, 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 had, we had experienced God doing miracles in our lives. And sometimes he does miracles and we overlook them. We count them too insignificant. But it's really God providing, meeting needs. We, we need to get back to prayer because it procures the power of God. I mean, prayer puts us in touch with God. Prayer is the door to God's storehouse of blessing. And prayer is the way to victorious living. It's the way to victorious living. I mean, we need to seek strength and we need to seek wisdom and power from on high. In the book of Matthew, chapter 26, verse 41, the Bible says, the Lord Jesus speaking, watch and pray that ye enter not into temptation. The spirit indeed is willing, but the flesh is weak. He says, watch and pray. I'll tell you what, if you're going through a tough time of temptation, you ought to be praying then. John Owen, he lived in 1616 to 1683. He said, he who prays as he ought will endeavor to live as he prays. That's a powerful statement, by the way. Listen to that again. John Owen, again, 1616 to 1683 is when he lived. He said, he who prays as he ought will endeavor to live as he prays. Phillips Brooks. He made this statement. He said, do not pray for easy lives. Pray to be stronger men. Do not pray for tasks equal to your powers. Pray for powers equal to your task. (laughs) That is good right there. I mean, really, let me say that again. That's just too good. I mean, we live in a culture and a society today where we want ease and comfort. We want everything to come easy. I mean, the student says, I don't understand. That teacher's just too hard. That teacher's hard because that teacher wants you to get the the, the information, wants you to not only know it for a few minutes, he wants you to know it for a lifetime. I mean, she's giving you these tests and she's putting you through the ringer because she wants you to retain what you've gotten, wants you to become smarter and, and, or should I say, uh, wiser with the information and be able to apply that information. You ought to thank God for the tough teacher instead of the one that just lets you slide right on through. Phyllis, I mean, that's how we run our Christianity too, by the way. We love God until God makes us or puts us through the ringer, until he turns the fire up. And then we look at God and under, try to say, what in the world are you doing, God? I thought it was supposed to be different than this. I mean, really, let's be honest. We don't get it so often. Philip Brooks did. He said, do not pray for easy lives. I don't know about you, but I'm guilty of that one. And I don't want no trouble in my life. I don't want no problems in my life. I don't want financial difficulties in my life. I don't want any problem. I, I want everything to be smooth and easy. <laughs> not this guy. Do not pray for easy lives. Pray to be stronger men. Do not pray for tasks equal to your powers. 
Pray for powers equal to your task. Boy, is that good. Not only that, but prayer is essential in the greatest work. It's essential in the greatest work. You say, what's the greatest work? Winning the lost. Everything else that takes place in the church is to prepare, to equip, to ready saints to be able to reach the world. We got it backwards today. Too many churches are focusing their attention on simply feeding the people for the purpose of feeding. Meeting the needs of the people. Continuing to provide for the people. But we do that with a purpose, an intent. We do that for the express purpose of edifying and building them up and equipping them for the purpose of reaching the world with the gospel. That's why Jesus came. He came to seek and to save that which was lost. The church is here to to provide an army to accomplish the mission in his absence. We are the Christ. We are who are left behind. He lives in us and we go forth to do his bidding and his work. It is essential in the greatest work. There are souls being saved. There must be prayer. Ian Bounds once said this. He said, the church is looking for better methods. God is looking for better men. The Holy Ghost does not flow through methods, but through men. He does not come on machinery, but on men. He does not anoint plans, but men. Men of prayer. Well, that's an amazing, powerful statement there. Such a man was praying Hyde, by the way. John Hyde was born in 1865 and he lived 47 years. 47 years. He was better known as the Praying Hyde. He was born in Carrollton, Illinois. His father was a Presbyterian minister who faithfully preached the gospel message and begged God for laborers both here and abroad. His impressionable son, John, took the message to heart. And even after earning a job at Carthage College, after graduating with such high honors, he chose to follow the call of God for his life to reach the regions beyond. He resigned his position and he entered seminary. Upon graduating in the spring of 1892, he sailed for India the following October. His ministry of prayer in India during the next 20 years was such that the natives referred to him as, quote, the man who never sleeps, unquote. The man who never sleeps. Some termed him, uh, termed him the, the apostle of prayer. But more familiar, familiarly, he was known as the praying Hyde. Basil Miller wrote in his biography of Hyde, he said, John Hyde was all of these and more. For deep in India's Punjab, he envisioned his master And face to face with the eternal, he learned lessons of prayer which to others were amazing. Walking on such anointed ground for 30 days and nights or 10 days on end or remaining on his knees for 36 hours without moving. When he returned to the field preaching from such seasons, he was thus possessed of a spiritual power which opened dark hearts of India to his message. Wow, can you imagine? I mean, honestly... Listen, why is it that we ask our young men and our young ladies to read these books of men and women of old? Because there is a level of of commitment and devotion that in many cases in our day and age does not even exist. 
Boy, if you talk about inspiring a man or a woman for God, let's get back there and understand the kind of commitment, the kind of dedication, the kind of sacrifice that these men and women put forth. Imagine 36 hours not even moving. The only way I'd do that is if I was under medication and on my back. I can't even imagine not even moving for 36 hours. I can't imagine how you move after you haven't moved for 36 hours. Seriously, think about that. Hyde himself said at one point in his ministry, he said, I have felt led to pray for others this year as never before. I never knew what it was to work all day and then pray all night before God for another. Early in the morning, four or five o'clock and even earlier, and late at night to 12 or one o'clock, In college or a party at home, I used to keep such hours for myself or pleasure. Can I not do as much for God and souls? Wow. Remember how it used to be before you were saved? Burning the midnight oil, whether it was for education or possibly just pleasure, parties, whatever it might be. Living in sin. But now as believers, we can't do that. Hyde says, are you kidding? He says, there's no way in the world. He says, no, I'm going to tell you something. Um, Can I not do as much for God and souls? (laughs) Wow, what a testimony. Because of prayer, Hyde saw the years of no conversions multiply to 50 baptisms in 1907 and grow quickly to 800 in 1909. In 1910, he saw four souls a day being saved, almost 1,500 a year, personally, his own personal efforts. Hyde died February 17, 1912. His last words were these. He said, shout the victory of Jesus Christ. Prayer was paramount in the success of John Hyde. And may I say that it is also paramount in any successful work for Jesus. The power of prayer is often misunderstood And neglected by God's people. But I'll tell you what. If we're going to get back to God. We have to get back to prayer. We've got to get back to prayer. I remember reading about about a fellow by the name of Finney. Finney was a great revivalist in America. And at 29 years of age. He was a lawyer at that time. And he decided that he had to settle the question of his soul salvation. So out into the woods near his Adam's New York home, he found God. The next morning, he returned to his law office to meet with a client whose case was, he was about to argue. He said, I have a retainer from the Lord Jesus Christ to plead his cause. He told the man, and cannot plead yours. It was from then on that his life was given to the ministry. He began to train and was ordained to preach. His revivals are noted throughout history. I mean, you you can read about him. There's still books written on him. His impact was unparalleled. Finney believed in prayer, as did a man who made his work to pray for the revivalists. There was another fellow who made up his mind. You know what? Finney's got to be in a real tough spot. He's over here doing the work of God, and he's he's battling with Satan and the demons of hell. I'm going to pray for Finney, and I'm going to pray for his work. 
We read an excerpt from one of his revivals, and the name of that man is revealed. It says, now the same town, a group of youth banded together to break up the revival. They tried to break up the revival. But Father Nash, as he was known, took matters in in hand and under God's illumination said, now mark me, young men. God will break your ranks in one week, either by converting some of you or by sending some of you to hell. Praying Nash was praying for Finney and the work that he was doing. Finney was overwrought as to, as to Nash's seemingly bold prediction and would have spoken to this man of prayer, but shortly the truth of his, denun- of his uh, denunciation was verified by one of the youth accepting Christ. The rest soon followed. They got saved. This man, Nash, co-partnered in prayer with Finney. Proved a value, he proved to be a valuable asset to the revival and to the revivals that he would have. For in each case, he gave himself to prayer. They talked about Nash and some of his enemies said things like, it's impossible for him to pray in secret for he can be heard a half mile off. This guy didn't care if anybody heard him. But pray he did until heaven was opened. And boy, God sent power to Finney and to the revivals that he was participating in and souls by the thousands came to Christ. But we've got to get back to prayer. We need to get back to prayer. I don't know about you, but don't you long to see those kind of revivals? Don't you long to see people being saved and their lives truly being transformed and changed? We're going to have to get back to prayer. You say, I want to get back to God. I want to get closer to the Lord. Then you've got to learn something about prayer. You're going to have to get on your knees. We're going to have to spend more time with Him personally, intimately. How's your prayer life today? How much time do you spend? And I know people say, well, it's not the amount of time, it's the quality. I get it, but let me tell you something. Tell that to your husband or wife. Well, honey, I spend 20, I spend 10 minutes a day with you. You ought to be happy. It's quality time. I give you my full attention for 10 minutes. Do you think that'd be enough for her? Now, listen, I understand. You say, but I got a life to lead. Yeah, but it's the life he gave you. I'm just saying, how much time do we really spend in prayer? And listen, if if you spend 10 minutes in prayer, you're probably spending five more than most. And that sounds ridiculous, but I'm telling you today that prayer is not something that is common among God's people. It's important that we focus our attention on prayer. Where are you at in your prayer life today? I mean, do you have a desire to grow in prayer, to be more of a prayer warrior, to see more prayer? Victories as a result of prayer. There ought to be a hunger and a thirst to hear from heaven and to see God work and manifest Himself real in our lives and in the lives of those that we're praying for. May God help us tonight. If we're going to get back to God, we have to get back to prayer. And so may God help us to get back to prayer, even beginning tonight. Father, we come to you. We thank you again for this time together, and we thank you, Father, for the simplicity of your word.